Hey guys, welcome to a new podcast called Reform Reflections. Uh, this podcast is going to aim to be different from all the other podcasts by talking about a variety of topics from the Reform perspective, such as world events, and talk about subtleties in theology that people often try to neglect, and that's like historical, traditional, denominational topics, or major theological topics such as major doctrines, and compare and contrast major doctrines, and also do probably do some book, book reviews that have to do with uh, theological topics. The goal is to have a wide variety of topics, and we want people to learn through a format of dialogue versus issues <clears throat> that are talked about more through a lecture-styled approach. So I have today on the first episode launching Jonathan Ashford, kind of help mosey along. He was desperate. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fine, yeah, but a little excited <laughs> to get this off the ground. So <clears throat> one of the things that we want to talk about first is the heart of a Reformation was sola scriptura. And though we may talk about historical topics and traditional topics, our emphasis is on Scripture alone being our final authority. That's what makes us different from most traditional Christian podcasts. Meaning, uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to try to avoid making black and white what Scripture leaves as gray. And call black and white when Scripture has made it plain what is black and what is white. For example... You can disagree with on Luther, a famous maxim saying that he says is simul justus et peccator, talking how the sinner is both justified, yet a sinner, or sinner, yet a saint. A lot of, Some people disagree with him, and some people agree with him on it, but it doesn't necessarily make you a heretic. And we're going to, when it comes to this podcast, you know, we can talk later on about that. But if we have a listener that comes to us when we talk about topics and say, hey, you're wrong because of X, Y, Z, and it aligns with Scripture, then our podcast has achieved its goal. And that goal is to have engaged in thought-provoking topics where our listener begins to think through their own positions biblically. Not that we don't care about feedback, but it's used more of a barometer to see if we're achieving our goal. That, hey, we really just want people to learn and enjoy learning about topics that haven't necessarily otherwise thought of. So, for instance, we have plans later on to talk about Jonathan Edwards' departure from confessionalism and the historical pros and cons of that. Uh, we have thoughts to talk about the development of philosophical thought that has led to the modern secularization of society. And talking also on like some books like George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm and Pilgrim's Progress and so on and so on. Some topics, you know, I hope our listeners would have heard of before, but others, it's fresh ground for you guys to learn something new. Right. No, and that's part of it really is like even if you don't understand some of the words that even Austin was saying at the beginning, stick around and maybe you could learn a lot of that stuff and, you know, it, it should be good for it. Impress your friends. Yeah, impress your friends with big words. <laughs> Let me do the reading and you guys do the talking. <laughs> so, <clears throat> now that's out of the way. Well, I wanted to introduce our first topic for the podcast and that's really what I would like the heart of all this to be through and that is doing theology. So by definition, theology is the study of God's word or the study of God. And RC has a famous book out called Everybody's a Theologian. And just like the beginning, I disagree with that because not everybody is a theologian. In the in the technical sense? Is in, that what you're in the technical sense, okay, yes, because yeah, I've asked yeah. myself the question, when can you call yourself a theologian? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, when <laughs> when do you just play guitar when you're a musician? Right. So, and it's in the, in the same way that not everybody's a biologist. Right. But everybody does biology. Right. No, and, and I understand what you're saying. So you, but you would say that everyone studies the Word of God. That's like, that's 
good. That's like what every Christian should do. You're making a distinction between someone who's making, uh, put that into words, I guess, what the distinction there. So the study of God and being a theologian is what I'm trying to get at is that as Christians that we should still take serious uh, our ability to cultivate a greater knowledge of God. But at the same time, it's almost when we talk about with experts, where somebody's, you know, I don't ask a car mechanic what's wrong with me when I'm right. sick, and I don't ask a doctor what's wrong with my car when it's broke. Yeah. So there is levels or degrees, I guess, what I'm trying to get at is somebody that would be distinguished as a theologian versus your classic layman theologian. Right. So basically you're saying a theologian's a guy that's using actual certain gifts that God has given him. And using that to help others. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And really what I'm trying to get at is, though people will not aspire to be that distinguished yes. theologian as in going through all the complicated schools, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that you can't study theology. That's right. Agree. That's the heart of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And so through a study, and this whole cultivating a knowledge of God through the study of God is can be done through experience but also through reading his word. Now, you say experience, and everybody freaks out. But what I mean <laughs> is, all of this has to be done through a lens of Scripture. Right. So, like, for once, when I, I want to clarify that using the word experience. So, experience is in the goodness of God through his providence. Right. Or talking about experiencing the sacrificial love of God through others being sacrificial towards you or you being sacrificial towards others. Yes. And experiencing the tenderness of God through suffering. And such things, these things can't be taught through words, but through God's providence, it's taught through that experience. So, for instance, if I read scripture that the Bible says God is the giver of all gifts and I receive a gift, right? then I have just experienced truth of God in real life outside of his word of him, give, that God is the giver of all gifts. And it's bolstered outside that experience. But experience right. does the, not the, necessarily interpret So, So you would make a distinction and... and we would um, that your experiences can be true, but they're always subjected to the word of God. In other words, yes. you run it through the lens of scripture. Mm -hmm. So when we, we don't take our experiences and use it as a lens to lens to look at the word of God. Instead, we use the word of God to, as a lens to look at our experiences. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I'm not trying to say experiences, not all experiences are necessarily valid, but it's the sense right. that what we'll get on <laughs> is a building worldview, yeah. having a, a foundational building block. That's right. Like, we can't just read our Bible and not and see the knowledge and truth of God in our world as we yeah. reflect. And that's kind of the whole point of this podcast <laughs> and doing it through that reform perspective. No, that's good. So, but the second thing we wanted to cover by doing, talking about doing theology is understanding that we can learn from those we disagree with. No way. And those that are flat wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. learn from anyone if I didn't feel that way because I disagree with them on something. I mean, you know, but anyway, go ahead. But it's it's talking about like having an analogy is that would you rather have a 100% cheeseburger or an 80% cheeseburger and like 20% like vegan beef? <laughs> if you ask me, I would rather have 100% cheeseburger. Yeah, no but doubt. The, the <laughs> point is, is that there's still 80% cheeseburger and the other cheeseburger. So, but when we're comparing lamb chops and cheeseburgers is when we start running into problems. Right. That's, that's entirely different. So, I mean, like, for instance, I disagree with John Piper on numerous, numerous issues. And namely, he has a, he calls it Christian hedonism. Google it. I don't want to get into it. But I, I disagree with him on it. But it doesn't yeah. mean we throw 
Piper out with the Pied Piper. You know, right. you don't just throw him out of the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't throw everything you ever said. <laughs> or like Wayne Grudem. Him. Wayne Grudem has had, his systematic theology has been influential. Influential. Yeah. Influential. influential. There you go. <laughs> yeah, in uh, evangelical Christendom. Mm-hmm. But inside of that systematic theology, it makes a case for the continuance of prophetic gifts, not necessarily on the same level as apostles, but that it still continues. Right. And I disagree, you would disagree with, with that, right? <laughs> but he still has a thousand other pages of the systematic theology. It's pretty yeah, good. No, I, I like Wayne Grudem, but I disagree <laughs> with him also on that. For yeah. Sure. yeah. Or in like, I disagree with Spall and if it baptism, but <laughs> we are Baptists. After yeah. all. <laughs> anybody, anybody that does anything about Christendom has learned something or has anything, something influenced by RC. If you read his biography, it's amazing. So, but the point is you're free to disagree as long as, long as the, you're free to disagree as long as the disagreement is founded on scripture. Yeah. And it, that you don't, treat those men too harshly like although we have major disagreements with even rc sproul as far as baby baptism infant baptism whatever and because he's presbyterian we're not but at the same time we can see that he was a major blessing to the church we yes thank god for him and and utilize a lot of his stuff that he wrote it's not like we have to agree on every single thing but anyway yeah and there's also a second point to this is that some of the most humble christians are uh not well versed in theology, but they are saved. Make the distinction yes. they are saved. <laughs> Some of not okay, we'll move. So I'm not talking about those who have a uh, a sense of piety that's cultivated that are still unconverted. They're just religious, they're not right. They're not saved at all. But what I'm talking about is if you think about it, the unsung hero in your church who prays for every church member and you don't even know about it. You don't even know their name. Right. Like that someone may disagree with you on the mode of baptism. Or that someone may not understand baptism all the way, but you can still learn from them as far as their piety or their devotional life. Theologically, they might not understand a lot of things. Yeah. But they are actually serving the church in a great way. Like when it comes down to it, you would imagine God would rather have somebody that's more contrite than somebody who's arrogant and knows everything. Yes. And so that's kind of we're getting at but being careful to say that by no means saying to value a deep devotional life over the study of god so cultivating both is definitely be to be desired that's what you want a deep devotional life and a deep knowledge of god the point is is that if one causes you to love god with your mind more than your heart then it's time to take stock in why you want to know more in the first place So the next point, moving on, talking about a humble theology, entirely different, or entirely one of the subjects that I think is missed in a lot of systematic theologies. You might get a nice little preface or introduction, but this topic of humble theology is really just having a lowliness view of yourself as you study scripture. And part of having a humble theology is recognizing that we don't have all the answers. Right. If you remember Jeff's analogy in class where he's talking about the Trinity and this weird drawing on the board, and he's like, here's a black hole. <laughs> yeah. You get talk about these, you fall in the black hole. And you get spit out somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> and you end up somewhere crazy. Yeah, but so. Yeah, there's, there's a limit to what God has even revealed. And if you're not humble in that and you seek out answers that aren't given in Scripture, it can lead to major errors. Yes. It can, it can lead to heresy. Honestly, because men have ended up there from yes. that, pushing things too far. <laughs> that scripture doesn't answer. 
that's why we have a lot of cults. Yes, no <laughs> doubt about yeah. it. Somebody didn't like something or somebody, you know, went too far. But And it's not just giving, you don't want to give lip service to that statement either. Like when we talk about theology and mm-hmm. somebody tells you to be humble about it, you're like, oh, yes, be humble about it. Oh, I get it. Moving on. But that's not, you don't want to just give lip service to it. It should really be embraced as far as trying to be humble in it. And talking about answers that we don't have, like, for instance, we talk about the Trinity. We don't have a good analogy or a way of explaining the trinity no and then another one is like the first cause of evil yeah nobody has an answer for that well let's let's use the trinity um if you're not humble coming to the trinity and you use all these analogies like you said i mean the analogies all fail if you push them too far but they Mm -hmm. end up again in heresy yes modalism whatever it might be (laughs) and the point is is that even though we don't have all the answers as far as like being able to explain the Trinity or explain the first cause of evil. It doesn't make it not true. That's right. The fact yeah. is, is like just because I can't explain the origin of evil, it still happened. That's right. And so just because we can't explain the Trinity doesn't mean it's not we, true. Yeah. I mean, we're not God. <laughs> so yeah. We don't. Yeah. I mean, if you could understand everything that God uh, thinks or what he's done every single thing then you would be like God and we're not we're creatures so and it's kind of moving kind of like what you're talking about though this is uh we have to understand we're limited by our our language and though yeah yeah and there's just things that language can't communicate and so like if I were to tell you that you should be scared I, okay <laughs> I don't feel that it's not right. like I can't say in words and make you experience something like there is ways you can do but the point is there's always certain things that be communicated through language right. and that's why the bible is in multiple different genres of language you have poetry you have wisdom literature didactic literature historical narrative because there's truths god wants to convey through that genre that right. can't be conveyed in poetry imagine trying to convey a genesis account through poetry you mean it's not i'm kidding i'm totally kidding <laughs> yeah. no i i believe in the literal <laughs> historical <laughs> but it's the point that we're, we're limited right so yeah. if i were to start playing a piano and being like dun dun yeah dun, and i get faster you will feel some type of fear and suspense and that's kind of the point of getting yeah. at certain things you can't communicate right and so it's the same with mysteries in scripture and sometimes we have to settle for waiting until we can experience these things without language like the trinity yeah yeah no it's no know your limits <laughs> yeah but it doesn't mean we can't know god oh, and uh, no. to make that distinction this is where in western philosophy everybody falls off the rails just because we can't explain it with language doesn't mean that we can't know god and the important part is is that god has accommodated himself to us that's right through written word yes so we can know god through his written word yes and everything that he's revealed about himself that he wants us to know is there. And so we don't have to like, we don't have to go search and like, yes. you know, we don't have to go into numerology and try and figure out secrets in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> that, or we don't need, we don't yeah. need uh, like in some sense, philosophy is useful, but we don't need philosophy to tell us about God. That's right. If you were to be stranded alone on an Island and all you had is a Bible, and that was it. Everything that you need to know about God that he wants you to know about him is yes. within those pages. That's right. Yep. I agree. So <laughs> shout out to Jeff Johnson, the reveal God. Go read it. It's a good book. Yeah. 
So, and going staying in the topic of humble theology here, it's being careful of zeal. And it's a, a false zeal or a zeal that, you know, you think is great, but is actually terrible. You know, throw back to Paul yeah. being zealous more than his brothers, but killing and imprisoning Christians. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole point is, is that it, zeal is led, is what some have said and have taught to be met with contempt from God and that they think they're doing good, but the whole time they're doing that good, God meets it with contempt. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I see that you have a quote from a particular person down here. Oh, but we will, we will talk about that. <laughs> okay. But, um, it, it's, um, yeah, zeal sometimes, sometimes people also push zeal. How do I explain this? It's driven by emotion. Yes. And so you can go into great error. And that's when I'm reading these quotes that you have here. Yes. And we're not going to mention. Um, but Oh, I'm going to mention them. Oh, okay. Just not, just oh, not oh, okay, not yet. <laughs> Is it, it can get you in trouble when you are um, subjecting, allowing yourself to be subjected to your emotions and getting all worked up. You end up saying things that are just ignorant, I guess. But yeah. anyway. So like the first one is uh, Stephen Furtick is a famous little video out there that I'm sure he wishes he didn't do where he says I don't know that he wishes <laughs> oh I look if you pay attention to it everybody is eating it up where they they take it they take a little snippet okay. they go look this is what they believe he said it right there but just like they do politicians they take it out of context if you watch it in context he said that by accident he did I I did watch it in context he yeah. said it by accident mm -hmm. but the problem is like we we're being saying earlier, zealous yes having too much zeal and losing self-control, it, it was a slip of the tongue, but it's a great example of what careless zeal will do to you. Yeah, he was worked up. He was working himself up to try and get the audience worked up. And, and the quote is, "I." he said, I am God Almighty. Yes, I am. Yeah. Talking about being covenant with God. Yes. yes. It's so, another one, uh, Michael Todd's wonderful little thing that he says where he says jesus didn't reach his potential if you watch the video you can tell that was off the top of his head and he was losing <laughs> it like he was like michael scott like that's sometimes so i start a sentence and i don't even know where it's you going, where and it's going. That, that was it <laughs> unfortunately i suffer from that <laughs> when he said jesus didn't reach his potential but i never said that <laughs> <laughs> well the point is is that it, it, what he said is awful like i get what he was trying yeah. to say but it's awful like jesus didn't reach his potential what do you mean that was his potential that was right it, and it was but the point is you when you get eat up with zeal and you allow the situation mm -hmm. or your emotions to take over you start to it, it, you no longer have that humble theology you become arrogant and say things or do things that meets god with contempt and i have in mind where paul talks in galatians where he says am i to please god or please man yeah. If I please man, then I'm no longer a bondservant of Christ. But logically, there's five maxims. There's five different options. Or there are four different options. I can't do math. Have a Tennessee education. <laughs> I, I forget my lefts and my rights. I told Shia, it's like, hey, do you let's still have go. to hold your hands out? In no, front of I'm you just like, all right, roll. it's to your left. And I go right. And I just, yeah, my brain doesn't work. Anyways, no, but talking with those four things is that you can please both God and you can please man. You can please God and not man. You can please man and not God. You can also not please both. Yeah. If I were to go punch somebody randomly in the face, that person will not be happy and neither will God. Yeah. But the point is with these maxims is that those people he's talking to or some of these when you allow zeal to take over, you fall into one of those categories where you're either pleasing God 
or you're pleasing man and not God, or you're not pleasing either one. Yeah. No, it's a good point that you're bringing out because, you know, we don't think of zeal that way a lot of times mm-hmm. that you can get caught up in and in your zeal, you can totally end up caught up in something that you never meant to be, or at least the arrogance, like you said, I think that's uh, actually a really good, really good thing to bring out. So the next one, bringing up, talking about the study of theology here, or doing theology, is beware of traditionalism. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, yeah, <laughs> say that word. I hear the great tradition <laughs> a lot. But no, talking about, so I originally wanted to say here that I was going to say sola scriptura, but everybody hears sola scriptura, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got a sola scriptura. I mean, th- those from reform streams will hear it, but they also, being aware of traditionalism, kind of brings to new light the whole point of sola scriptura yeah and and just and look i'm i'm bringing the fruit low for people like me (laughs) (laughs) but um so just just give a uh explain what sola scriptura is just in case somebody wouldn't know so sola scriptura is means that scripture alone is the final word and authority now that doesn't mean there's not other words or authorities that's where a lot of people don't understand the doctrine and try to poke holes in it. There are other authorities, and the Bible itself sets it up. Yeah. One of the Ten Commandments is obey your mother and father yes. as an authority appointed by God. Right. Paul appoints elders over the church as yes. an authority. But the final authority and arbiter is the Bible, is Scripture, is God's Word. Yeah, and even those authorities that you're put under should be subjected to yes. the Word of God. Not yes. on par with or above. Right. <laughs> They're subjected to it also. And the reason being is not because it's a book that we've all decided, hey, this is what we're going to make a new religion on. It's literally as if God spoke it himself. So if you go back in medieval times, if you had a king and a king were to send a messenger and he were to write a letter or dictate a letter and you wrote it yeah. down and you brought it to the other kingdom and it says surrender or we will take your kingdom yeah it's as if the king himself said it yes so in the same way that the reason why the bible is the final authority is it's as if god himself That's right. said it yes and so your mother and your father when he says to obey is not a higher authority than god i'm sorry right well that you're you're talking about the authorities that are appointed by god in our lives and even they're subjected to scripture so that goes straight into the speaking of traditionalism right that would speak to that because, well, let's. It, I'll just let you continue about traditional. <laughs> People do it today and they don't even realize it. Like, yeah. for instance, if you're a Baptist and your reason for being a Baptist is because your mom's a Baptist, that's right. Or your yeah. grandma's a Baptist. Well, you've fallen into traditionalism. Yes, that's your authority is your tradition. Yeah. So, and it's not saying that tradition is useful. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, not everyone have a, some form of tradition in their worship. We all have a form of tradition yeah. or worship. People used to meet in houses. Well, now we have distinguished buildings. Yeah. So, and the point is, is to have a biblical foundation for that tradition. Yeah. And so, like, um, why use hymns versus contemporary music? You have, that's a huge sparking debate. Yes. And some people will say, hey, you know, that we use hymns because it's older, it's tried and true, you know, it's been around in the church longer, and they've appealed to tradition. Yes. And versus contemporary music, where they say, "Oh, I like the experience." Right <laughs> you've, now, and, you've fallen into a different camp. Yeah, and so this would be one of those gray areas you were talking about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, but the point is, is that we're free to disagree. Yes. Like, I believe we should use hymns as an example of being rooted in scripture. Some people believe we should just stick with the Psalms. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but right. I think hymns are useful for a reason. And just yes. in a brief explanation to show a, like, the biblical foundation mm -hmm. for disagreeing here is hymns have, there is an emphasis in scripture in singing corporately. Yes. So when you sing contemporary music, Chris Tomlin has a range I don't have. That's right. So when people get up on stage and they sing ranges I don't have, how can I participate? Can't. And in the same way <laughs> that with a emphasis on corporate singing, because we see this in Revelation where all the saints are singing before the throne of God. We're all singing. Yeah. And so singing corporately in worship and worship being something we step into, we don't necessarily create ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And so hymns have five notes. Everybody has five notes. God right. has made everybody to have one octave. Yeah. And they're simple. And they're repeatable. So by if you don't know a hymn, by the second verse, you're singing along. Right. With contemporary music, I'm sorry, with Hillsong, I have nowhere it's going sometimes. Is the bridge going to stop after eight or 16 well, times? Well, you also can't hear all of your fellow brothers and sisters. I mean, no. and, and we would make a... I mean, to us, there is a command in Scripture to sing one to one another, right? Well, it's like, it's like <laughs> voting, though. It's like if people say they don't want to vote because their vote doesn't matter. Well, the whole point is, is that, okay, if we all stop voting, nobody right. would be elected. Yeah. But if you go to churches that emphasize this contemporary music, if everybody stops singing, there's still music. So the point <laughs> right. is, is that even though I'm singing hymns, and right. if I stop singing a hymn, the hymn continues. If we all stop singing hymns, it doesn't work. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's the whole emphasis right. of corporate yes. singing that scripture puts on it. Yes. But that's a whole that's my reason for singing hymns versus contemporary music. Right. Well, I would agree with all those. So. <laughs> but yeah, being founded in scripture. And it's the same people make an argument for the Psalms and you can disagree with Psalms. You can disagree mm -hmm. with that as long as the answer is yes. founded in scripture. Being aware of uh, traditionalism. And so and this is not talking about being solo scriptura. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not me, right. my Bible. Yeah, that's in, that's different. <laughs> yeah, no. What's it called? You become your own little pope. Yeah, that's the saying I heard. <laughs> yeah, you you completely separate yourself from all other. I mean, look, God has given the church gifts, different men gifts. Just like we were talking earlier, theologians, you know, true theologians are practicing hopefully within the gifts that God has given them. But anyway, there's teachers, there's preachers, there's people that excel at those gifts, and so when you separate yourself from those people and you just have your Bible in your corner. Not saying you don't need to study your Bible on your own, but you can go into great error because you have actually pushed away some of the means that God uses in our lives to help correct us and keep us on the straight path, right? Yeah. And some people will use, so when you go along up to somebody and you try to correct them, yeah, as far as their doctrine, say, oh, Saul Scriptor, man, and my, my conscience is all kind of word along. It's, I, I understand what they're trying to get at, but it's yeah. also, it's like, man, you're being pretty it's pretty obvious right now you were in sin or you were wrong and you're saying that as a right. cop out and yeah. so kind of like we we're talking about earlier with doctors i don't go to a doctor and i have a car problem i go to the expert mm -hmm. and so these theologians are would be our experts all throughout christendom i don't and, i don't want to get us too far off course so you can just refuse oh, yeah, to answer but this. talk oh, wait what uh, you can refuse to answer this if this is going to take us off course too much but so we're talking about traditionalism. We're talking about you and your own Bible in the corner. Well, it makes me think of the Catholic. Oh, yeah. That would say, well, that's why we have the church. And see, the reason why I bring that up is because I didn't want somebody to mistake what I was saying. Like, we do have men in the church, mm -hmm. teachers, preachers that help help us. And 
and we don't separate ourselves from that uh, gift that God has given the church. But what's the difference between something like the Catholic Church, where the church does tell you everything that the Word of God says? Like, and you can't disagree, right? So the church holds the magisterium is the final authority. And then when the magisterium can agree, then you get the Pope involved. And the Pope issues this right. amb- very ambiguous bowl or cyclical or whatever they call it <laughs> that somehow makes both answers right. <laughs> but the right. point is, is you, when we talk about part of that traditionalism, is that the Catholic Church has made tradition a second authority to the Bible to where you have to have the Bible and apostolic succession or sacred tradition in order to understand what the Bible is trying to tell you. If you're trapped alone on an island with the Bible and you don't have the church, you can't ever really know what the Bible says. Yeah, that that would be the Catholic view. And so they held like solo scriptura, solo scriptura, plus their own little... Solo scriptura is really not solo scriptura. It's you you create your own tradition in your own mind. (laughs) Like you can't even have solo scriptura if you think about it. Right. Let's not think about it. We'll make that another subject. Right. <laughs> but the point is, is that it, talking about the experts, though, is with the whole theologians, I'm going to go to for a car problem. We have theologians who have that distinction throughout the church who mm-hmm. have benefited the church greatly all throughout church history. That's right. And so it, there's wisdom in listening to those who came before us. Yeah. Why and, would you not take advantage of that? And yeah, and not. <laughs> Writing our own systematic theology every time and, there's a new Christian and they have to write their own books and stuff because, oh, man, you can't yeah. solo scriptura. And, and this goes back to what we were saying, at, what you were saying at the very beginning is just because you disagree with someone on one area doesn't mean that you throw it all out. And so someone like R.C. Sproul that we have many disagreements with, we would still like read his books and get mm. great benefit from them. And so and John MacArthur, same way, right? Yeah, but. talking about traditionalism. If you know, the MacArthur <laughs> rights, man, you know how many times you you get into arguments—not arguments, disagreements with the people and the appeal they make is, well, MacArthur said, MacArthur said, yeah, or R.C. Sproul said, yeah. or this person said. It's like, hold on a minute. <laughs> now you're falling into this traditionalism, right? Almost kind of like Catholicism in a, yes. in a way. I mean, like not, they're tiny vicars right. or yes. they're tiny authorities. Yes. Like you have this. Yeah, we can the celebrity pastor. Yeah, take advantage of what <laughs> what the God has given to the church throughout history, which is great men who have taught great things and written great things. Take advantage of that, but that isn't your authority. Yes. That, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but theology is also supposed to be done without a preference or without feelings. And sorry. And so we're talking about that. Is saying that too many people disagree with doctrine and it insults the image of God they've made in their own minds and their own heads. So like if we were to talk about a doctrine of let's say original sin, some people have a problem with that because they want to say it makes God evil or it makes God, God a bad guy. That's right. Yeah. And it's not fair. And the reason why they do that and they say that is because it insults the image they have of God in their own mind. Mm -hmm. And so that, but that's not, that's not an authority. That's not doing theology. Right. That's, that's not getting your, uh, your thoughts of God and who he is from scripture. Mm. And that, that is always an accusation. It's like, well, that would make God this or that, but that's not what scripture says. Exactly. Right. It's like my, hold on. So me, what they do is they read their Bible or they, they hear what their grandmother has said the whole time. Not no insults to grandmothers out there. <laughs> we all love grandmas. Right? Like eight of them. <laughs> but the point is, 
But the point and is, he's not even Mormon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, on. it's wild. So, <laughs> no, the, the point is, and so you don't ever go study your Bible or see what God has had to say for himself. So you'll read a doctrine, and it'll say that if you don't submit to the authority of God or submit to the gospel or believe in the gospel in Christ, and you remain in your sins, and you'll be in hell. Some people have a problem with that. Yeah. Oh, that makes God an evil or a Big bad time. guy. Okay, but who said that? You? And so then you turn into, that's where that traditionalism comes right. into. It's saying like, hey, my, this is not what my family has told me or what I believe in myself, that whole yeah. point. You create your own tradition. Yeah, no, that, yeah, I agree. And so, and it's kind of, the last part here, talking about beware of a dead theology. If there is anything anybody in a reform stream gets accused of as being the frozen chosen. And it's because, <laughs> I'll be honest, I've met a lot of people that have a dead theology. It's kind of like what James says, that faith that works is dead. Yeah. Which, we get into it later. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is that you don't want to have a theology. You want you don't want to study theology that leads you to be a hermit where you no, sit yeah. in your room all day. and you Because if that happens, you've missed the most important part of theology god grants it's kind of like what our pastor says the whole time where he says you know everybody some people god has made a finger or a toe well some people god's made a head some people yeah. a torso and but the whole point is is that we need all the gifts of the church so if god has given you a mind or an intellect to understand complicated theological thought and you've poured that to yourself you've missed the whole point of why god's giving you those gifts that's, that's right because if your theology doesn't drive you to want to fulfill the law of Christ, which is love your neighbor, mm -hmm. love your fellow brother and sister in Christ, then you really, your theology has, it's for nothing. It means nothing. Yeah, it's, it, you, you've missed the whole point. And so it's like talking about how the knowledge that we gain is supposed to flow from our heads into our hearts. Mm -hmm. That's the whole design that God has. And it's a knowledge that's meant to lead to a greater love for God. But the other part, moving into it is talking about the second part that's often missed and it is not talked about by a lot of people. It's kind of the way you were getting at where theology is meant to lead to a greater love for God and a greater love for man. That's right. And so, and that's the greatest commandment God's given is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, right. soul, and, and to love and your neighbor as you the, love yourself. Yeah, and because of the gospel, we can actually start to fulfill, live in that truth and actually start obeying although flawed that law right um but yeah if, if your theology i think kind of what you're getting at is if your theology doesn't if your theology just makes you cold and and doesn't produce um more love and even now i'm not saying that we're driven by compassion we are driven by compassion <laughs> that was the wrong word um i'm not saying that we're driven by emotions that's what i meant to say um but your theology should give you it should uh work it should give you the emotions like with it sometimes like i'm yeah. not saying like it, it like that thankfulness that that love for god that um, joy and if it's not producing that now i'm not saying we can live in that all the time we got to have our ups and downs cuz we're flawed human beings that are still fighting with sin but anyway but the whole point is, is that if you have a, if you're studying a knowledge of God, and the, you've learned of the wrath of God, 
and then when it comes to the wrath of God and knowledge of it, you should have a sorrow for your fellow man that doesn't know God. Absolutely. And so when it comes to this also, like loving God and loving your neighbor, the point is, is that if you have a theology and the more that you study it, it leads you to have a contempt for everyone around them, then you've learned more how to be a Pharisee than how to be <laughs> That's more right. Christ-like. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, and the verse I want to reference here is in First uh, Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul is talking about the sacrifice of idols to meat or the sacrifice of meat to idols and the yeah. Christians are like I don't want to eat it because it's going to idols the other ones are like ah it's okay well the, the the end of it is really what's important and that's what Paul says is that we know all things saying that it's okay to eat meat we know it's not going to a real God right but he says that knowledge puffs up but love builds up that's right yeah. <laughs> well, in the following chapter, you also see which there's many different views of the next chapter. But in First Corinthians nine, he talks about giving up all these different things for all different men, subjecting himself for the sake of the gospel. Yes. And and that's when he gets to the point, and you might disagree with this, but I think at the end of chapter nine, that's what he's saying when he says, "I beat my body into submission," mm-hmm. as he is that I won't be disqualified and and. When I read that, is he saying that my gospel will not be disqualified among these men because I have I have uh, fought the fight. I have subjected my body to things like this so that I might spread the gospel, right? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I thought you were going to talk about like he actually beats himself. Like that is a popular <laughs> view for some <laughs> no. reason, and I'm like, okay, well, what's the practical no, think... application of that? Do right. you? <laughs> yeah. Go back to Martin Luther, how he started out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the whole point of doing theology is to understand that we have a, everybody has a knowledge of God. You can't get away from that. And that's what R.C. meant when he said that everybody's a theologian. And, and that aspect, I can agree with him. Yes. And that knowledge of God, if you imagine, is like a marble slab or just a concrete slab. And then everybody is building a house on top of that. So everybody has this knowledge of God. What's important is, is that everybody has to understand you build a house on top of that and you need to use the appropriate tools and so the only way right. to do that is through god's word that's right yeah i agree you ready to wrap this up yeah well that is it for today <laughs> thanks for listening apologize the buzzing it is a first podcast still so, figuring it out <laughs> yeah if you can get through the buzzing hope you learned something like and subscribe. Hit the notification bell down below. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All that stuff. <laughs> Watch too much. All right. All right. See you guys. Yep. Yeah.